0: Hello and welcome to Angular Rocks podcast for those who want to know more about Angular. I am Alexei Kuntsevich. The topic for today is developer tools, and I am very excited to introduce our special guest, Minka Geshev. Minka is a developer relations lead at Google who also works on Angular and building tools for developers. Hello, Minka. Hello. Can you tell a little bit more about yourself?
1: Sure. I have been doing open source for a while now, maybe about 10 years. Started just pushing codes on GitHub and right after discovering other people's projects and finding places for improvement. And that's how I started contributing to Angular as well. In 2012, I think, I had to build an application and back then I picked AngularJS. It was the best framework to solve the problems that I was facing. And um, started contributing to JS back then by, by just adding small fixes in the documentation. Over time, I continued building tools for developers in my spare time. And eventually in 2018, after um, I worked on my startup, I uh, joined the Angular team. So since then I have been involved in a variety of different efforts there, mostly around tooling, some around framework. Um, generally across the board.
0: Oh, Minka, you've done lots of great work there, building these awesome uh, tools for developers. And thank you for all your awesome contributions. Why developers need tooling?
1: I think anyone can be can build applications even without any tools. If even if your compiler throws a single error saying you have an error in your program, you would eventually manage to ship a production-ready, working application, but it's going to be a lot of work. It's going to be insanely hard. Um, so developer tools, they allow us to get more productive faster, have more insights on our program, and generally make our lives easier.
0: Yeah, it's very hard to imagine the developer's life without modern tooling. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's for sure. It's
1: going to be pretty tricky, yeah, just having a random error thrown in your console and after that not having an idea, but just a simple text editor without syntax highlighting and figuring out where the error in your 10,000 10, lines of code is, it's going to be pretty challenging for sure.
0: the old days <laughs> I've been doing the development for quite a while. And yeah, I remember these old days where tooling wasn't there, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was hard to debug. Um, you're uh, original creator of Catalyzer. Um, what problem you was trying to solve uh, when you created the Catalyzer?
1: Uh, originally in 2011, maybe, or 2012, I was, uh, when I was using AngularJS, I uh, worked on a set of best practices, the AngularJS style guide. And when Angular came up, I was planning to do the same thing. So I started working on the set of best practices based on the a book back then that I wrote where Mishko helped me with technical review. And I wanted to make sure that these best practices are enforced at build time with static analysis. And this played really well with another interest I had, which was compilers. So I started digging into the Angular compiler, figuring out how their template parsing works, trying to collect metadata for the entire component and pretty much the entire application by myself first. The idea was generally to enforce the practices from the style guide that we later defined with the Angular team, with uh, John Peppa, Wordbow, and a couple of other folks that currently live on Angular.io slash style guide.
0: Right, we will talk a little bit more about Catalyzer uh, soon. In my opinion, the developer tools can be split into multiple categories like development and productivity, uh, debugging, performance, and testing. And so today, um, uh, let's discuss all this. Um, Probably it makes sense to start from development and productivity usually development productivity includes like uh, ids and different uh, development tooling which makes developer life easier so it's anything which uh, happens when you write in code right uh, maybe some tools which give you a feedback on your on errors or maybe some tools which validate in your code right so things like that and Minko, in your opinion, what are the most uh, common IDEs uh, Angular developers using these days?
1: This seems like a very natural start, I guess. When you start building an application, you usually need to open your source directory in your text editor or an ID. I'll say probably the most popular editor that develop, Angular engineers are using currently is VS Code. Uh, probably. A lot of folks are also using WebStorm, Sublime, Eclipse, and Visual Studio Code. These are pretty popular environments that folks are developing their applications in. And out of the box, any of these applications provide syntax highlighting. So they're getting already some benefits, specifically for their TypeScript source code. Not necessarily for their Angular templates at first, though. Uh, At least not in VS Code unless they install a particular extension. And uh, these editors already provide also some auto-completion. This auto-completion can vary depending on the capabilities of the text editor. It could be very simple auto-completion, just when you type a dot, it may just output a bunch of different substrings that you have already used in your program. This is a very like basic, naive approach on implementing um completion without necessarily performing any semantic checks, or it could be way smarter by communicating with the TypeScript language server, which can analyze the program, can figure out where exactly you're in this program and provide different completion suggestions depending on the type of the symbol that you want to interact with. Uh, yeah, this is only on TypeScript level, though. We don't have Angular support yet. At this point, I mean, we do, but at this part of the podcast, we haven't introduced the language support yet. (laughs)
0: Yes, (laughs) we will talk about it soon. And speaking about ADEs, what is the most popular IDE developers using at Google?
1: I'll say probably, well, there is a very popular IDE, which is probably the most popular one that folks are using in Google. It's an internal text editor that is implemented in Angular. Oh, wow. Uh, and there is also IntelliJ and like WebStorm, all these JetBrains products are quite popular as well, I'll say. I'm sure that a lot of people are also using Eclipse and I don't have really very accurate uh, sample. I haven't looked at statistics, but the people around me I'm, with whom I'm working with, they're probably probably like WebStorm and VS Code are the, mo- the two most popular ones. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. And so uh, there is a thing built by Angular team called Angular Language Service. Can you tell a little bit more details on Angular Language Service and what problem does it solve and how it helps developers?
1: Yeah, it does a couple of things. One of the things is provide syntax highlighting for templates and for inline styles as well. So by default, if you have a single file component and you have your template directly in your component metadata, VS Code would not know that this is a piece of HTML, so it would just use the default highlighting for string literal. With the language service, we're bringing an extra functionality that introduces parsing and also token like tokenization and uh, highlighting of this template that uh, you have developed. And in fact, we worked with a community member who implemented this extension in the very first place in order to incorporate it as part of the language service. And make it available for developers. Probably the most heavy, like the heavy lifting that the Angular Language Service does, is to communicate with the Angular compiler that knows a lot of things about developers' applications, so it can perform extra things such as uh, some um, uh, semantic analysis and allow you to just like type check individual template expressions, and also provides uh, auto-completion suggestions. When you, for for instance, uh, start typing something, you press a dot, let's say, it's going to take a look at the properties of this particular object you're interacting with. And not only type check them later on, but also provide you a list of suggestions. Pretty much the way that you'd be expecting your text editor to behave with any statically typed language out there.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it works pretty well, and it's available as a VS Code extension. And correct me if I'm wrong, speaking about WebStorm, does it
1: leverage this Angular service as well at some instance? It's a, it supports the Angular language service. It supports it, but, uh, but the default experience is custom. Uh, and mm-hmm. I'll say it provides a super set of the functionality that the Angular language service provides. For mm-hmm. instance, the WebStorm experience would, um, if you rename something in your templates, uh, although... This might be a feature that we'll be introducing in the language service soon, but let's say it supports way uh, more advanced refactoring capabilities. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay, I got it.
0: Um, And yeah, the major tool uh, which is there for Angular developers benefit is Angular CLI. There is no project, I think, which you would start without Angular CLI. (laughs) Can you tell uh, us a little bit about Angular CLI? Look, maybe we don't have to go through details, because if you start talking about Angular CLI, it 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 will take hours. And I actually done an episode with Alan anyway on Angular CLI like a couple of months ago. So Angular CLI is there, and it helps developers to be more productive, right?
1: Yeah, I'll say the biggest benefit of the Angular CLI is that it encapsulates the build, so you don't necessarily have to think about building your Angular application with optimal settings. That's it, and we can very easily introduce further improvements in in the build process without developers really having to think about them. So mm-hmm. you can just run ng-updates and your application can get a little bit faster because we have worked with Google Chrome on some optimizations for loading assets. And we just unblocked so the JavaScript to start executing a little bit faster, for instance. Mm-hmm.
0: And the, one of the major Angular CLI building blocks is the Angular Schematics, right? Yeah. So And it's something which helps to do these code transformations. I mean, ng-update and what else? ng-new... Uh, Mm-hmm.
1: All the things. And you generates,
0: and I know um, some people who build in uh, different frameworks. Like I think NestJS using Angular CLI or part of Angular CLI to build up their own uh, CLI for NestJS, right? So
1: yeah, yeah, schematics is used across the in- industry right now. It's used by mm-hmm. NX as well for uh, their CLI, which means that it is already used in some applications that are developed with, like, let's say, Next.js or with Go even and Python. I believe there were some extensions for NX that allow you to host your backend code uh, within the same monorepo. And this is all Mm -hmm. powered by Schematics.
0: Mm -hmm. And Schematics, does it live in Angular DevKit or is it separate? It is supposed to be a separate uh, package. package. Yeah, it is supposed Mm -hmm. to be a
1: separate package. It still lives in the Angular CLI repository though.
0: Hmm. Hmm. And another bit there is Angular Dev right? Um. Can you tell a few words about Angular DevKit and what people can do? Sure. Yeah. Uh, with Angular Dev
1: Kit, it's just like a bunch of utilities that help us to make the Angular CLI what it is today. Um. For example, the Angular Dev I believe the Angular Schematics are a package under the Angular Dev Kit. There are a variety of other different utilities that are hosted under the scope. I would say mm-hmm. that there is not very super clear separation between where what Angular DevKit is. This is primarily just utilities for that are powering the Angular CLI.
0: Right. And so it's a separate package. It means anyone can just take it and build their own tooling on top of it, right?
1: Yeah, it's a package scope and it has a bunch of sub-packages that mm-hmm. provides primitives for which combines together, compose together, provide the Angular CLI experience.
0: And there is uh, a few more things which is part of Angular CLI. Um, and and prettier and ESLint and TSLint. So let's talk about all these things. Sure. Uh, I know like you develop Catalyzer, so tell us how does it work in Angular CLI and how it helps there.
1: Yeah, these tools are very similar in the sense that they're both Kind of relates to compilers. When you build a compiler, you go through a parsing stage and all these tools are consuming the parsed source code, which is in the form of an abstract syntax tree. So colalizer, ESLint and TSLint, they're going to look at this abstract syntax tree. They're going to just traverse the individual nodes and figure out some usually linting errors. And the linting errors are often just some, some semantic checks. For example, they can check whether you're using on-push change detection strategy on a particular component, or whether you're following accessibility good practices. Prettier, on the other side, rather than performing such checks and throwing you a warning, it tries. It is entirely focused on style, coding style, and rather than showing you a warning if you're not following a particular coding style, it automatically formats your program for you. And that's the right way to approach with formatting, rather than just throwing an error in if there is a missing semicolon. If you know that you're not going to have an impact on the meaning, on the semantics of the program, you can just add this semicolon and save the developer a couple of seconds. So this is what Prettier does. We're not shipping Prettier as part of the default CLI experience, but you can very easily add Prettier to your project and start uh, and just utilize it.
0: Uh, is there any more development and productivity tools you can uh, name?
1: Uh, there are, uh, probably there are more than I, I can think of right now. Uh, there is a, a, an interesting community extension called com- Componentizer, I think Componentizer, <laughs> that allows to extract part of your template into a separate component. This is a pretty cool feature. I think WebStorm support is already out of the box. Another tool that I worked on uh, for an NgConf talk is an Electron application called NgRef, which is for reverse engineering of Angular applications. It uses the Angular compiler in order to parse the application and renders it into a canvas so that you can see the relationships between your different modules, components, your template, and so on and so forth. This is a lot of fun to build, but also I got so much help from folks because I originally built it for Vue Engine, and mm-hmm. I spent good like at least a couple, at least a hundred hours during this tool. So at least a cup, at least like week and a half, two weeks and a half. Uh, and after that, when the team developed Ivy, this tool completely broke, and it's something that I've been maintaining in my spare time. I didn't feel like rewriting it, but there were a couple of folks from like Germany and Poland who did so much fantastic work. They just moved the abstractions on top of the that were based on the Angular compiler, and they uh, transitioned them to Ivy. And right after that, I worked with uh, a contributor from Poland, from Krakow, on making ngref work with this new format. So yeah open source is a fantastic place. So ngref is currently available for angular iv applications as well.
0: Mm-hmm, nice that's cool. Yeah I haven't tried uh, ngref but yeah that's something i want to check.
1: Yeah and, and it also has some like some barrier you need to like download it and install it which is uh-huh. a little bit annoying especially for web developers who are used to have everything in the web browser and that's i mean that's how it's supposed to be. Uh, but yeah, I would say it probably has about 15,000 downloads or so. so there are mm-hmm. people checking it out. Nice.
0: So right, that's pretty much development and productivity tools. Next uh, step here in our discussion is debugging tools. So first of all, a debugging is kind of feature in any modern IDE, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well even, even before UID we have console locks where sometimes <laughs> we can lock things there. And there are yep. uh, there are some I think there was a, a book, Beautiful Code." I think that was the that's where where I read this. I, I don't remember who exactly. Was this Douglas Crockford or was it someone else? Mm-hmm. I remember uh, they stated that they're using only console logs for their debugging because, and rarely, because this helps them think more rather than stepping through the source code. So console log is a fine way way to debug simple things sometimes. Uh, and IDs often they allow you to set breakpoints and sus- like suspend the execution of the program or just pause it on a particular place in time and expect inspect the state around. Um, this uh, call, this call site or like this execution point,
0: mm-hmm. right? And also, you can also always uh, just put debugger statement, and then in, in Chrome Developer Tools, it will step there. I'm I'm using this technique a lot. Yeah, <laughs> really.
1: Me too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, there are also really cool conditional breakpoints you can set based on uh-huh. the. So when you set, uh, let's say, if you're using... Not, I, I've been most using actually Chrome DevTools for debugging. I haven't been using the built-in debugging features, capabilities in IDs and uh, text editors. So in Chrome DevTools, what I love is when I set a breakpoint and I right-click on it, I have access to just a pop-up shows sub that allows me to specify a condition. And when this condition is true, I can mm-hmm. hit this breakpoint. Alternatively, I can skip over it. This has been super helpful in some cases, specifically when I want to debug my source code only for a particular condition rather than stepping into the breakpoint every time.
0: Yeah, but, uh, that's something which debugger statement will do, right? It's unless you can, you know, you can go if your condition yeah. <laughs> curly braces and then put debugger, <laughs> but uh, using just uh, dev tools, it's more convenient way yeah. to tackle this uh, uh, conditional breakpoints. Yeah. yeah,
1: Yeah, I was in this situation actually the other, like few maybe a week ago or like two weeks ago working on Angular mm-hmm. DevTools where I want to debug the profiler for only lifecycle hooks rather than change detection. And I think that's what I did first, maybe uh, adding an if statement. And if I was in a lifecycle hook, I was using debugger, debugger. But this required me to go back and forth between the browser, the debugger, and my text mm-hmm. data. So switch to a conditional breakpoint after that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, It's a good habit. Actually, Yeah, my my goal to improve my developer experience by embracing <laughs> this new conditional debugging using DevTools. Yeah, it's in my list. Yeah, it's also things. very
1: interesting how... like. Uh, as developers, we're so focused on productivity sometimes. I remember especially people who are using Vim, let's say. They remember mm-hmm. all the different keyboard shortcuts so that they can save themselves like a uh, 100 milliseconds.
0: It's always uh, nice to use all these tools. Even as you said, if it's saving a couple of milliseconds, I mean, you're saving time, right? Yeah. <laughs> time is the most valuable asset, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, and there is more things there available for developers uh, which exist as a uh, Chrome extensions. There is two things, Angular State Inspector and Angular DevTools.
1: I just discovered Angular State Inspector, actually, and it seems like a really cool tool. Uh, And I I mean, I discovered it through you. You found it and uh, (laughs) I checked it out. Looks like people love it and seems to be working great for Angular. JS, Angular View Engine, and Ivy applications as well. So this has been uh, fantastic tool. I'll say Angular DevTools adds maybe subset of the functionality of the State Inspector for inspecting the state of the component tree. Also visualizes the component tree itself. So rather than seeing all the different elements in the DOM in your elements in, in your elements tab, you're going to see only the components and directives. And uh, it also adds the profiling functionality, which allows you to inspect how much time you spent in execution of change detection in components, or how much time you spent in execution of outputs or lifecycle hooks in components and directives in general. So it is kind of a Angular-specific view to Angular to Chrome DevTools. That's how I would call it. Because mm-hmm. you can achieve the exact same things with Chrome DevTools itself, but Chrome DevTools is just a little bit more noisy Yeah, when it comes down to Angular, because it also looks into the Angular runtime, and as a developer, you usually don't need to think about the runtime of the framework. It doesn't matter how much time the framework spent in a provider lookup, for instance. That's not something that developers necessarily have huge control over. Clearly, there are some micro-optimizations that could be done, but uh, in the Angular framework team, we're doing a lot of work into making sure that all these calls are fast and optimizable by the JavaScript virtual machine.
0: Yeah, and this brings us to the next category, which is performance. Uh, so there is a lot of tools there which are available for developers. As you already mentioned, people can use dev tools to tune up Performance of Angular application. So there is more tools there to help uh, with performance. Can you tell a little bit more about all these tools and uh, share the best practices? How would Angular developers tune the performance of Angular application?
1: Sure, yeah. Specifically, when we're talking about optimization of the bundle size, often people are very concerned about the framework that they're using, and usually the framework definitely adds some overhead to their final bundle, but it's usually a constant overhead. So let's say uh, people are building a very small application. They'll be using a subset of the framework. So they'll be using, let's say, 40 Qbytes 40 rather than the entire framework, which is, I, I don't know, like 60, for instance. I'm just making these numbers up. But over time, the application is going to grow. People will be using more and more capabilities of the framework. And at a certain point. That's it. I mean, there is nothing the framework can do in order to um, cut any of the costs that it introduces. Uh, at, at this point, we usually find that the bottleneck is in third-party dependencies. So Source Map Explorer would show you what third-party dependencies you're using in your initial chunk that you're loading. And from there, you can figure out which of these dependencies you can eventually delay because they are not par- part of the critical user journey, or you may even like be able to get rid of them. Open Source Map Explorer also allows you to see when you have invalid imports. A common problem that I've seen is people importing directly from RxJS slash internal specific operator, which rather than adding a very small cost to your runtime, uh, in terms of like adding to the bundle, it adds an additional overhead of a couple of kilobytes, which is redundant. Yeah, Source Map Explorer is definitely a cool way for you to inspect your bundle. But even before that, in order to guard yourself that you're not passing a certain threshold, you can use the Angular CLI's performance budgets. The budgets would allow you to just get a build error if you exceed a certain limit that you have set above, uh, which is considered acceptable for, for your applications. So this is only, ho- only, however, for um, low-time performance inspection. And there are a variety of other different tools. i would usually go to Chrome DevTools Network tab and figure out if there is something I can optimize there. For instance, in the waterfall diagram, you can very easily see, I mean, having certain experience in it, you can see how much time you spent in loading individual resources, how large these resources are. You can think whether you can load them in parallel or if you can't load them in parallel, why is that? Are they blocking on each other? Do they depend in certain way on each other or are they hosted all on the same origin, which doesn't allow the browser to start downloading more than six at a time? Let's say these are all very interesting uh, things to look at. And even before the network tab, which is on a pretty low level, generally, because it shows network requests where you can inspect caching and HTML headers, and st- uh, HTTP headers and stuff, you can go to Lighthouse that is going to give you actionable steps on how to improve your application's performance. It's, it can uh, hint you whether you would want to apply compression in some cases, what kind of compression, it would suggest optimization of images. And many more.
0: Mm-hmm. Lighthouse it exists as a browser extension, right? But also, you able to run Lighthouse as a part of your CD CI, right?
1: Yeah, I believe it's part of um, Chrome DevTools in general. It's the official part of mm-hmm. Chrome DevTools now. Lighthouse, right? Uh, and you can, yeah, there is also Lighthouse CI. From what I know, I think the Chrome team introduced this in 2019, maybe, or mm-hmm. was it mm-hmm. 2020? So you can keep track of the lighthouse course and follow for regressions. you can like there, there, are, um, there are I guess there is the, the trade-off there is that the checks can become a little bit flaky because there are a lot of variables there. You need to make sure that there are no any other running things on your machine when you're running the lighthouse test so that you don't get so they do, don't impact. The way the browser is using resources from your machine and loading the website, you need to make sure you have consistent bandwidth. So there are no any other applications using the bandwidth at a certain point. It's pretty. It's pretty tricky. Uh, for mm-hmm. very mm-hmm. easy win for CI is to add CLI budgets, where the CLI is just going to build your application. After that, it is going to look at the individual bundles and it is going to throw an error, depending on whether you have exceeded certain budget or not. So it is very easier to reproduce. There are way fewer variables on which the output depends on.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. And I think uh, lots of people, once they start uh, digging into performance issues and trying to solve them, in many cases, <laughs> there is some sort of a uh, memory leak there that you have to figure out. Yeah, like basically the question is, how would you debug memory leaks? It's kind of tricky, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, memory leaks, I would usually use like Chrome DevTools if I'm creating a web app. Uh, I would say this is probably the most powerful tooling that you, cu- you could use for the purpose. There is a really cool memory monitor that allows you to, to see how your memory performs over time. It shows a red arrow when you're allocating more memory and green arrow when the garbage collector is deallocating this memory. So if you're only going up over time without deallocating any memory, this is probably a sign that there is a memory leak. And from there, you can capture the heap of uh, the JavaScript runtime. And in the heap, you can explore how many instances of particular objects are currently available. And from there, you can see whether they were, where exactly they were allocated so that you can uh, figure out why they're later not being deallocated. There are many different reasons for that. Um, variety of different patterns that you can fall into. Often it just means that you just haven't cleaned up a reference to a particular object, which with itself, it also drags Thousands of other of objects that are consuming a lot of memory overall. So that's a mm-hmm. way to debug memory leaks. It's usually not the most pleasant experience to debug memory leaks, though. Uh, the lucky scenarios in which the memory leaks are easy to find are not as many. And you don't hit this problem so often. So I'll say that there are not like debugging memory leaks is not a skill that anyone has or anyone would be able to very easily acquire.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very tricky. I remember me trying to debug a memory leak. Yeah, or it was a nightmare. Yeah, it
1: could be really hard.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I guess we covered uh, performance tools, unless you can remember anything else. Maybe
1: we can talk a little bit about runtime performance and profiling and inspection. We briefly mentioned mm-hmm. the profiler tab in Angular DevTools. There is also a very powerful uh, tab, like performance tab in Chrome DevTools which allows you to inspect individual function calls and also how much time you spent in each individual call. It shows them in a format known as the flame chart, which is similar to a flame graph, but ordered uh, because JavaScript mm-hmm. is a single-traded language, so it is way easier to show how the function execution performed over time rather than showing multiple different like flame charts, let's say, for the individual threads in the language. I mean, I'm ignoring web workers and uh, service workers in this case, though. There are different ways to inspect these in uh, in Chrome DevTools. Yeah. Uh, and this, at the same time, as I mentioned, could be a little bit overwhelming because there is like so much going on there. There are hundreds, of, there are usually thousands of function calls and the vast majority of them are just instantiation of inject injectors or... Angular internal calls. So, this is where Angular DevTools helps. It discovers different call sites that are specific to the developer's code. So, usually when you're running your Angular application, you're spending time in a couple of different places either the template, lifecycle hooks, or outputs. That's mostly it. There are a couple of other scenarios which are, again, very tightly coupled to the framework's runtime when you're performing view queries, let's say, but they're usually not the bottleneck in the application's execution. So what Angular DevTools provides is a view only to these places where we're invoking application code rather than framework code. And it often can provide you like better insights on what you could optimize in your application, what is in your control zone.
0: Okay, so the next category here uh, is the testing. Uh, So there's lots of tools available to test your code base. What would be your recommendation today for Angular developers? How would you approach end-to-end tests and how would you approach unit tests?
1: So originally we were recommending Protractor, now it turned out that it's not the best idea because since we developed Protractor many years ago for AngularJS, the web moved forward a lot and a lot of the Protractor features are no longer necessary. And if we want to deprecate them, people would have to rewrite a lot of tests and, uh, I mean, we can we can drop down some of the features, but uh, at the same point, there are already existing tools that are providing similar capabilities and maybe even a superior development experience. So for Angular DevTools, I have been... Um, uh, using to write end-to-end tests Cypress, I mean, our our team has been generally investing in Cypress for Angular DevTools. Uh, for unit tests, we are using what comes in by default with the Angular CLI, which is Karma and Jasmine. I have been using Jest in the past for my startup and I really like the experience there too. I find Karma and Jasmine to be working well unless you have tens of thousands of tests then it could get a little bit tricky eventually. But uh, generally it provides a decent development experience and it also provides a guarantee that you're running the source code that you're testing in the browser rather than in a Node.js environment.
0: Uh, Do you think uh, Cypress and Jest could be a nice tool set?
1: Cypress works fine. We have been also working with Mm -hmm. WebDriver.io, with uh, Nightwatch.js and I believe Test Cafe. So they all have integrations with the Angular CLI. Mm -hmm. And when you run ng e2e in a new project, you're going to get an error by default saying that you should install one of these tools that currently have good integrations with Angular. Uh, And I would just recommend folks to go to the websites of these tools, just research what are their pros and cons, and figure out where they should go from there. I really like the, the development experience of Cypress. It has its own constraints. For instance, Cross-browser testing is not a thing there, or uh, testing some specific features that are only testable with web drivers, such as pop-ups, stuff like that. But for my purposes, this has been usually serving me well.
0: Say uh, someone just started with Angular recently, what would be your recommendation to start embracing all this toolset? It's very hard to jump right away into everything and learn everything in one go. What would be your recommendation for junior developers?
1: Yeah, uh, mastering your tools is definitely important. At the same time, it is important to understand the fundamentals really well as well. So I would recommend them to invest in the understanding the fundamentals, and that they will be able to apply across different technologies and across different environments and teams. So understanding the foundation foundations of computer science and software engineering, and also being able to communicate with coworkers, these are very important important things. From there, when you are using a particular tech stack in your job, let's say. Uh, you're using, you're building web applications with Angular, you can definitely invest into understanding really well how to use the Angular CLI, select your text editor and understand the, the keyboard shortcuts. Because, yeah, we're spending a lot of time writing code, sometimes more than like five, six hours a day and just feeling overwhelmed because we're doing a lot of work with our mouse, let's say, and uh, having to move our wrists. So this can create some ergonomic issues and also some not very pleasant experiences. It feels way more powerful when you're familiar with your environments and uh, you're able to use it efficiently. And some of these Mm -hmm. tools don't really need to be learned uh, to such a level. You may not really need to understand all the keyboard shortcuts in Angular DevTools, let's say, because you may not have to interact with it constantly all the time. But having this understanding within your text editor or ID is uh, super powerful. Yeah. Uh, I would say, learn the tools like one by one as you need them. This would be my recommendation.
0: a progressive learning, <laughs> yeah,
1: learning them at once as you as you mentioned, is going to be overwhelming for mm-hmm. sure. um,
0: say if you a team of developers should you embrace the same tool set, including them, maybe even shortcuts, you know,
1: yeah, I would usually recommend in teams to use tools that remove conflicts, <laughs> and people usually have conflicts about syntax most often. So uh, using a code formatter is very important. Using something like, well, I guess ESLint nowadays with specific configuration, even if not everybody agrees on it, but the majority of the team agrees with it, just using explicit mm-hmm. text editor format, like formatter and linters configuration is very essential. So you're
0: talking about, about rules rather about configuration. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah.
1: S- setting specific rules in your ESLint config file and uh, having strict, prettier config is something that is worth it. From there, I think it is also a good idea for folks to have knowledge sharing sessions. So let's say someone learns how to use some of the hidden features, not that it has too many hidden features, but some of the features of DevTools, Angular DevTools, they can make a short over lunch presentation to their coworkers showing them how to do performance debugging on this topic. How to use the filter functionality, let's say for change detection frames, stuff like that. It's uh, I've seen this practice in many different teams, and it has been super powerful.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense, right? Um, and just if uh, we just summarize everything, what we was talking today about, and so what do you think how it will evolve in the future? Like, what be the future Dev tool in, in a couple of years?
1: Well, I see, I, th- I see things how so so v- very often. Folks are confused by seeing just raw stuff. Let's say you perform profile, perform you did do a perf- performance profiling in a JavaScript application, and you see a bunch of different call stacks and 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 things in the flame graph or flame chart that are super confusing. I see that how more and more frequently. Tooling developers, you're trying to come up with very actionable steps on how you can move forward with particular performance optimizations. A good example is Lighthouse. We have been thinking of doing something similar in Angular DevTools eventually. Finding, let's say, the f- top four different performance problems and recommending you first identifying them when you lo- when we look at your profiler and right after that recommending you different practices you can apply in order to improve them this has been something that we have been des- definitely uh, considering and yeah just generally automation that's that's what tools should do as much as possible rather mm-hmm. than just showing an error if they are able to maybe fix the error
0: uh, do you think is there anything uh, missing in the current ecosystem of dev tooling and is there something you're working at the moment
1: uh, there is there are extra features we can add to angular dev tools for sure. Specifically mm-hmm. around inspection of dependency injection and the router, there there are a lot of opportunities there. In fact, because Angular is built in a way that it is a well integrated platform, so this allows us to build more advanced tooling for it. It's going to be hard for a browser extension to build visualization of the routing tree if there are a hundred different routers and there is there there is there are zero routers that are officially recommended by the framework. Same with the forms module that we currently have, or dependency injection even. If the framework is not opinionated in a way you inject dependencies to individual components, it's really hard for people to track where particular dependencies are coming from. So I would say there is a lot of potential in Angular DevTools, and this will be an area in which we'll be investing in the next uh, couple of Mm -hmm. months for sure. First though, we need to move it to the Angular mon repo. So this is going to take some time because
0: Right. So I think it seems like we discussed a lot of things today.
1: I think we covered plenty. Yeah, I think we're good. Mm
0: -hmm. Maybe you have uh, any links you want to share, articles, blog posts, and your Twitter handle?
1: Oh, yeah. Um, Well, something interesting that I can share with people is that we're adding ESLint, not ESLint, but ESBuild to our pipeline. ESBuild is a JavaScript optimizer that is developed in Go and it is way faster compared to what exists already and is implemented in JavaScript. At the same time, we cannot completely replace our build pipeline and update it to use ESBuild because it's going to be a very breaking change. So what we are doing instead is to take part of the responsibilities of Tursor, which is our JavaScript optimizer right now that minifies source code and performs tree shaking, dead code elimination, and a bunch of other things. And rather than using Terser for everything, we'll be taking part of its responsibilities and using ESBuild for the purpose. And by using ESBuild, we're going to produce a pretty optimal bundle. And right after that, for other optimizations that ESBuild doesn't currently support, we'll be using Terser. So this would allow us to make builds with about 10% faster. And hopefully with the future gap between Terser and Yes, build closing, we'll be able to completely move to uh, the more efficient approach and we'll have even higher impacts on the build process. Mm -hmm. And
0: also share your Twitter handle.
1: Yeah, if you're interested in talking, I'm available on Twitter at mgechev, M-G-E-C-H-E-V.
0: You write in blogs as well, right?
1: Yeah, I haven't written, I guess, in a couple of months, but I usually post content on blog.com mgetchev.com. I've been posting most, most, more regularly, I guess, on the Angular blog, which is blog.angular.io. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Alright.
0: I will put all the links into the show notes. And uh, now it's time to wrap up. Thank you, Minka, for being with us today and sharing all these awesome details about DevTools. And I'm Alexei Konsevich, and this is Angular Rocks. Thank you for listening. Hey, Alexei here again. I am excited to share with you that finally I am publicly releasing my Angular Learning program. I have been developing it for a very long time. The registration is now open at ngstart.dev. The program consists of 1-hour free live workshop precursor followed by a series of interactive workshops, which will teach you how to go from zero to production, advanced Angular concepts and best practices. As a sign of appreciation for your support, I'm offering a promo code that you can redeem with any paid workshops. Please use ngrox during the registration at ngstart.dev. It's spelled like N G S T A R T.dev. Check out the show notes for more details. Bye for now.